Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, hey, Film Chat listeners, Danny here. First off, apologies we've been so bad at updating the podcast. Life has got in the way, COVID, work, and... Uh, Sheer laziness. Yeah, sheer laziness is the real uh, culprit there. Anyway, what you're about to listen to is the first part of a mammoth review session. It was so big that I've been forced to split it up in two. The reason I'm talking to you now is that the original skit we did to open the episode was referencing a Vin Diesel Instagram post, which was very much in the public's imagination at the time this thing was recorded. But weeks later, when editing it, even I struggled to trying to remember what we were going on about. So I'm going to stop talking, you're going to hear the jingle, and then you go straight into Sam's review of Bo Burnham's Inside. Okay, maybe see the end for a little wrap-up. Okay, okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. Bye. We can't be in the same room, but a podcast can't be stopped. The cinemas are empty, the industry is fucked, but we won't log off. We're not going out, we're staying at home And when we watch films, we watch them alone We sit in our pants, stick on something crap And then we hit Skype for a little chat Little chat, little chat, little chat The uh, thing I wanted to talk to you about first is like a movie which um, is not recent at all was released over a COVID, a Netflix special, the um, the Bo Burnham film Inside, which I caught up with recently. And it was like a big talking point at the time, right? Like, uh, I don't know, had an impact, whatever, people were talking about it, praising it, saying it was excellent. And I watched it with uh, Hannah, my girlfriend, and she was saying, like, a lot, she knew a lot of the songs already because they're big on TikTok. Like, TikTok is, you know, a very musical social media platform and, like, a lot of the... Bo Burnham songs have been sort of embraced by TikTok and it was just I found it kind of interesting because the film is so um you know critical and like like scathing towards internet culture and I just it's interesting to me the way in which that his kind of very passionate uh like and sort of despairing in some ways and like nihilistic kind of critique of the the world that you know in which he like initially grew up or whatever and or like what brought him to prominence in social media has been so painlessly assimilated into that culture itself um but yeah i was interested to know what you what you thought of it what you thought of the movie basically yeah for me it kind of like i enjoyed it like on balance and some of the songs are absolute bangers but i think it's sort of just i know this is sort of the point but for me it reached like like a sort of point of diminishing returns of like how sort of self-reflexive it was it was almost like you know, I'm singing this song about being privileged, but I'm acknowledging that by doing this, I'm part of the problem. But then he acknowledges it like two more times. And yeah, it's but like, uh, but even but I'm also acknowledging zing, that by acknowledging, zing, yeah, the, the the trend of self acknowledgement is itself absurd. You know, yeah, and, yeah. And I just felt that couldn't sustain ninety minutes. 
and it, like it felt a bit like an hour that had been stretched out yeah it definitely tests to destruction the limits of this kind of incredibly self-reflexive thing and i think my the the the, the hot take that i was coming away formulating from it um, which is you know partly i think why the 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 movie and like its songs have been so kind of like widely embraced and they get like constantly quoted by like twitch streamers and stuff like it's definitely you know been taken on board and like resonates with people like the the a lot of the bizarre aspects to the culture of incessant social media usage and also the weird thing of like content creation in that world you got to churn stuff out all the time. You're like your own private little company that's always like making things and it's always personal. You're really putting yourself out there and that sort of continual exposure. They're sort of hyper aware of all the issues with that and all the, the weird ways. They're talking about serving the algorithm and all this. But it's like self-awareness is just doesn't like, just does not get, it only gets you so far, you know? I know that's like yeah. what you were saying in terms of the experience of you know, the limits of like actually watching it, that it, that it ends up feeling a bit circular. But it's kind of about just the total lack of agency or the lack of any kind of politics, really. That, like, politics is being reduced to just stuff you read about. Like, is this racist? Is this sexist? Like, is this wrong? Is this right? You know, did I say the right thing? Did I say the wrong thing? Whatever. But there's no, like, sense of a, of a program, you know? Mm. What, I think partly what's so, what's so sort of imprisoning about this whole culture is that, you know, all of these issues have been identified, but there's no sense of what, how you might collectively fight back, you know? And it's like, that's what is like so paralyzing. And I don't think that the film in any way points towards a like solution to that, you know, which is, I think, something of a, of a limiting factor. I think it's very Kaufman influenced. It's the same kind of like incredibly inward looking thing where rather than that sort of process of inner exploration feeling like it's unfolding new insights it's just kind of hammering away at the same sense of like miserable like loneliness you know and the the way out it's not like there's like an easy solution to it but like whatever it is it lies in some kind of like collective political projects but it just does not seem to be on the radar of like anything you could even conceive of doing you know so quite a good encapsulation of a particular kind of like contemporary despair and how like mania inducing and like depression inducing you know both modern culture and like internet culture is but just unfortunate that it's you know the 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 fact that it ends up feeling so utterly futile there's something to do with being able to recognize the problems is a kind of like false promise of like liberation from it it's like it's okay i know i'm chained up here but i understand why and i've you know i've got all the answers like i figured it all out but yeah that doesn't actually yeah no, no, it's exactly actually getting anywhere uh so yeah so it doesn't in a way it doesn't feel like it's just like an articulation of something that people knew already rather than a kind of like fresh argument but yeah so very like cleverly made and like yeah good song so i do i would recommend it all together but um yeah he's just a very talented guy isn't he bo burnham it's very talented i hope he goes and makes another movie like eighth grade because i thought that was actually brilliant yeah definitely i don't know yeah i don't know i just i feel like he's done it now like if he makes another song about being sad it's like come on bo yeah he can't do any more songs <laughs> about being sad we, we've had that now come on my favorite film stars bridget bardo she's the queen 
to be in radio So she starts a podcast with her friends And the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end So, let's do Dean, let's talk about Dean This is um, the biggest film of the year, would you say, in, in terms of how big it is? It's big. The size of it? It's, it's a massive film. It's a big old film. Uh, it is directed by Denis Villeneuve uh, and adapted from the 1965 science fiction novel by Frank Herbert, but it's only kind of the first half of that big old chunky brick of a book. And it is a kind of science fiction epic uh, with a massive ensemble cast, including Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Stan Skarsgård, Josh Brolin, and so on. And it basically follows a... Um, a kind of there's like a galactic empire and a giant planet called Arrakis which is covered in sand and there is a substance on the planet which is used for interstellar space travel but is also a hallucinogen prized by the locals and the galactic empire has colonized the planet and is like sucking the the um the, what's called spice this like drug that powers their spaceships um out of it uh, and a kind of a bunch of political intrigue is set off when Timothy Chalamet's um, uh, house that he's a part of, the Atreides, um, are um, sent to be the stewards of this planet, replacing a bunch of very evil, bold guys um, run by Stan Skarsgård. Um, and that sets off a you know, big rivalry and a potential conflict. And Chalamet, uh, who's the scion and future duke um, of this house, has to contend with all of this politics as well as um, his like creepy visions of the future and potential role as a kind of messiah figure. Here is a clip. I guess I'm not in the mood today. Mood? Yeah. What's mood to do with it? You fight when the necessity arises, no matter the mood. Now fight! See you found the mood. Ooh, big serious film. It's a big film. It's super serious. It seems like probably one of the best received blockbusters that have come out recently. People got the are critics, loving it. Got the critics raving this one. Uh, I definitely came to it like a little late, so like I didn't see it right away. You know, but I'd, I was aware of the um, it being incredibly well received. So maybe that sort of tempered my expectations in some way. Um, but I wasn't entirely sure what to make of this one. I think, well, what I was kind of thinking about it going in is I did read this novel um, when I was a teenager and I don't remember it super well, though I do remember it enjoying it quite a bit. And it's obviously got this, you know, it's very, very 60s and it's all about a kind of hallucinogenic drug that also powers space travel. So it has this kind of psychedelia like woven through it. And I thought that that aspect to it was quite at odds with Denny Villeneuve's aesthetic, which is quite sterile. Um, and uh, doesn't have that kind of like mind-altering, expansive wackiness, you know, to it. Um, and I, having seen it, I do feel as though that kind of remains an issue with the movie. And my overwhelming impression of it, well, there's like there's two there's two main things going on with it. It's extremely large, and it kind of hits you over the head. Like it's not a subtle film in any respect. And the score by um, uh, Hans Zimmer is like another one of his big bombs. 
kind of relentlessly so like they're so bassy one of the bassiest films like of all time i imagine you know for fans of the buttery biscuit bass uh you will like this movie so it's kind of bludgeoning like the whole experience is a bit like you know that's the noise that i would make coming out of it and the sort of aesthetics of it really reminded me of like the biggest budget game of warhammer 40,000 you know you could possibly play it's all there's a lot of like battalions and little models and spaceships and stuff and very little life you know no society or like sense of you know culture or you know none of the worlds they inhabit like it's all they don't feel like spaces in which people really live and work they feel like little sets to move your characters like and figures around on so it's curiously i mean it has a real sense of scale but it's sort of oddly sort of hollow and uh yeah i think that prevented it from having much of a kind of impact on an emotional level it's just kind of like boy what a big what a big uh, spaceship you got there so much sand like look at the size of that space worm wow that thing is fucking huge uh so i was a little left a little cold by it although there were some good performances particularly rebecca ferguson as chalamet's mum um who does have to do a bit of she's got a bit of a kind of wife mother role uh which is you know all about worrying about your son and your husband uh and weeping quite a bit but i thought that she you know really went for it and delivers like the most convincing performance in the movie um so yeah i enjoyed that aspect to it but overall um yeah definitely a little cold what did you think yeah no i i I generally agree i think it's just it's that sort of thing of it's so you know it's so sort of keen to be epic that everything is sort of sort of almost secondary to that and yeah what you said about the world's not feeling particularly like lived in i think is absolutely true and it's sort of indication of that like villeneuve is not that interested in like people and i haven't read the book but you do the sequences where it's working the most is like the sort of set pieces where like in a very sort of uh, script writing 101 it's like stuff is happening characters are being revealed through their actions but it felt like like a very high-minded almost like borderline snooty take on like pulpy material and yeah i think there's this i've got this sort of like go-to critique about a lot of movies i felt this way about the green knight uh which i saw a month ago or so about uh on one hand it's admirable that it's taking the source material seriously because I feel like a problem with like fantasy and sci-fi genre films often they have this kind of quality of like apologism apologetic nature to them where they're sort of constantly like you can't laugh at me because I've laughed at myself but I think both those movies kind of confuse kind of seriousness with like humorlessness and it's like the world you should take the world seriously but you know there should be people in it you know people crack jokes people aren't constantly just like murmuring in huge vast warehouses it's not how like people actually function and so yeah I, I found it so curiously quite a flat film like tonally it's quite flat I also I can't I haven't read the book but I did think it didn't really get it reminded me of like the sort of first Hobbit film where like somehow three hours has passed but you felt like you didn't really get very far into the story like there's sort of a climactic sort of sequence where like the shit hits the fan and that really felt like the end of act one but somehow that's half an hour before the end of this film yeah it shares this thing with the hobbit where it feels like in order to justify why you're telling one story over multiple films each film itself has to be the maximum length a film could be yeah if it was only 90 minutes it'd be like well why don't you make one three-hour film yeah yeah, yeah, exactly so our first film has to be two and a half hours long also, I think, like, Timothy Chalamet is a bit miscast. And it's a bit like... 
I don't know, like Paul Atreides. It feels a bit like Henry V, his character. He's like young man. Yeah, destiny calls. He has to like rise to the occasion, and he was miscast in the king. And it's a bit like, can you do that in space? And it's like, still not really. He's just like he just doesn't. I know the internet loves him, but he just doesn't have the kind of messiah. He's not Keanu Reeves or something, you know. He doesn't have that quality about him. Chalamet is a very modern type of guy. Yeah, it is odd that his. I feel like he just should be more typecast. He should really only play the character that he played in Call Me By Your Name. Some kind of moody, lovelorn teen, which is sort of what he's doing in A Little Women as well. Yeah. You know, that's sort of, I think, his lane. I find him kind of limited as an actor. Like, he's very good at that, but I think being a yeah surly prince who's not sure what he wants to do with his life, you know, I can just about buy that. But in this film, he also has to be this, like, messiah figure and a warrior who's you know quite physically capable and strong and he's like a little stick figure <laughs> it's like a little tim burton illustration he's a, yes exactly he's a little tim burton drawing and he's not going to be taking down these trained warriors i just don't like no matter how much you know magic you know abilities he has or whatever i just don't really buy that so i agree that he wasn't great it is I mean, it's just dressed like sort of very technically like super accomplished film, and it's like it seems like Villeneuve. Uh, I've always thought when we use surnames, it makes it sound like went to like boarding school. These guys, <laughs> Villeneuve, yeah. great chap, but he he often gets compared to Christopher Nolan. But it does seem like like their films are just made to a higher quality than other blockbusters. Like, I mean, we're going to talk about these like Marvel films later on. I always think like Marvel films have a few shots that just got finished or it's a bit rushed. Whereas these films is like, well, they spend the time and money and like they hide very good people at this and like all the effects work and there's they're never like wobbly or anything. Yeah, yeah. I know that's a hundred percent true. This is a film that they properly storyboarded, like yeah. they worked everything up beforehand. Then you do the Marvel thing of like, we'll fix it in post, whatever, cobble it together. Yeah. It's it is a really good looking film. And I think that although it is ponderous and like kind of a pompous film, it does have a sense of grandeur to it, which a lot of blockbusters don't have. Particularly, I think, if you're used to like, the Marvel experience, where it's really just like the latest episode of the Marvel TV show. And it feels like 95% of the special effects in Marvel films are just not impressive. They just simply look like the Marvel thing, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. There's no... It just feels like they're not even trying to kind of wow you. They're just... You're just passing the time, like watching the latest episode. Whereas this film is definitely set out to wow you. And pretty much from right at the beginning, like everything is ultra portentous. All the shots are slow and kind of elegant. Um, and uh, it's advertising to you to the max that, you know, this is an event. You're watching a film. And that's a big part of what Christopher Nolan's appeal is as well. It's the same, the same kind of thing, you know, the sense that like stuff is really happening here. I'm going to blow your freaking mind. And there are some there are some sequences in Dune that are really good. I thought the way that they do the sandworms was really really impressive, um, like well staged. Like the effects are also awesome. So yeah, very very accomplished um, filmmaking in certain respects. Just wish he'd loosen up a bit. I felt like he needs to take a little space peyote himself, Villeneuve, expand his conscious a little bit, and then you know just up the grade, make it less beige enjoy that you know that realm of the color spectrum get into that bit yeah <laughs> buy a zimmer maybe or just tell him to like lose the bass a bit <laughs> find the treble find the treble he needs, needs to add some treble you know find other colors like like vibrant you know pinks or something yeah yeah um yeah for sure so that's what we went for him dune part two is like hot pink 
costumes uh, and trebly soundtrack. Maybe a few, not necessarily jokes, but just a few, you know... Just some characters with some personality. Yeah, a little, little more personality in it. Yeah. It's all I'm asking, Bill. People without rods up their butts. <laughs> And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off Okay, Last Night in Soho This is the new film from Edgar Wright uh, Famous for Baby Driver, The Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, World's End Scott Pilgrim, those are all his previous films uh, This is... Uh, his first film with female protagonists and it's co-written uh, by him and Kirsty wilson Carnes, who was the co-writer of 1917 that Sam Mendes war movie and the plot follows uh, Thomasin McKenzie who was from Leave No Trace and Jojo Rabbit she plays uh, Ellie she is from Cornwall and she's moved to London to study Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN fashion and it's established early on that she's got some sort of supernatural ability some sort of psychic thing she can experience the world in some kind of way which is above normal and after moving in with like a bunch of awful sneery bitchy fashion students she's like this isn't for me so she goes and finds uh amazingly finds some sort of affordable flat in soho itself that's the biggest, you know, what it, like ask of the movie. Somehow she can afford a flat in Soho, run by Dana Riggs, who's this old landlady. And at night she starts having dreams where she is this beautiful, glamorous uh, 60s singer played by Anya Taylor-Joy. And she's transported back into Soho of the 60s. But soon reality and the past are bleeding in different ways. It's all very spooky. And there's lots of shots of her looking in mirrors and seeing other people. Here's a clip. Well, hello there. The bartender said I should get to know the handsome fella standing next to Silla Black. You should. And you are? The next. Silla Black. Are oh, you now? Well, you know she started out as a co-check girl. You willing to work your way up? Of course. What well, can I get you to drink? It's Sandy. I'd love a Vespa. James, we'd love a Vespa. So what do you do, Sandy? Well, I sing, of course. Where's your dancing? Care for a demonstration. So, I thought this was uh, a bit disappointing. I think it's Edgar Wright's worst film. And I think he just like doesn't quite have a good handle. He doesn't have a good handle on the material. It is the positive about it is like very beautiful looking movie, and uh, it's, it's a rare film with accurate London geography. And if you know Soho, it's just quite cool to see Soho transformed in the '60s. And also, they just shoot stuff like in Soho. So, like a part of the plot is her working at the Toucan Bar. I was like, I know the Toucan Bar off Dean Street. 
and you know if you just know Soho that's that's kind of interesting to see um I think the basic problem is like it's the characters are so thin and they have such little agency that they're quite hard to root for and it's quite funny I saw the London Film Festival and before they screened it one of the people at the festival came out and read this statement from Edgar Wright asking uh, everyone not to ruin any of the later plot developments so the you know the audience can experience uh, you know the twists and turns as they're meant to be experienced and like if you do not see the twist in this movie from like one minute in you just have not seen any other films and yeah it was just quite quite funny that he like guys don't spoil the twists of like there is nothing to spoil <laughs> so it's like very low on surprises also, I think just the general idea, the sort of horror element is basically like initially she like loves the 60s and the glamour and the, you know, the fashion and the world of it. But like, you know, there was a seedy underbelly to all this stuff, which isn't really a thing. Like Soho is famous for being seedy. It's like where all the sex shops still are to this day and like, you know, the strip clubs. So to present that as some sort of like revelation that occurs to a character is just makes them seem like sort of comically naive it's like you didn't realize that soho was a bit seedy it's like walk down a street in soho london's red light district (laughs) yeah exactly and it also uh without going into spoilers uh sort of deals with the idea of like (laughs) sorry i'm still laughing it's like these sex shops are a little longer without going into spoilers it uh part of the plot is about uh sex work and it's just got a very old-fashioned and problematic view of that like it's got a very sort of puritanical uh like sex work leads to sexual violence people who indulge in it are just like awful traffic people which is obviously true of some people but like uh just a a little bit like clutching the pearls sort of view of things in a way that just feels like kind of comically dated like the movie is about the 60s but also like the attitude from the 60s is somehow infused the film and it just basically hits a point of diminishing returns for me like uh, like halfway through and the third act is quite bad it's like it ends on a you know it just gets worse and worse basically and it is like very well directed it kind of reminds me of Baby Driver a little bit in that like I don't think that film is particularly review um, rewards repeat viewings because the plot is so thin it's just like pure style kind of gets you through it but like after an hour of like cool mirror shots and like neon lights the movies like run out of things to do and just sort of like limps to a conclusion you know, this is a film made by someone who's only experienced the world by other films. Yeah. And so it just, like, rings a bit hollow. Class, a bit problematic with its subject matter. It just, like, it just doesn't... I don't think Edgar Wright really is, like, comfortable with, like, sex as a topic. It just seems like, you know, like a bit of a film nerd. <laughs> and, like, he's kind of bitten off more than he can chew. So, I, I would just want to avoid, I think. But if you like I'm shots sure. of people like looking in mirrors and seeing something else then you gotta see it there's like a hundred of those kind of shots well those can be pretty cool those are pretty cool so hats off to the guy who choreographed all the mirror shots very good Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw you're gonna hear them in a moment or so there could be angry disagreements but their views are normally quite close a joint review shared between two podcast brothers do they let one another Bond, bloody Bond. He's back, isn't What's he? What's he up to? What's he up to? 
So it's been a full six years since Spectre, that film everyone loved, and this is Daniel Craig's last outing as Jimothy Bond. And the plot, if it matters at all, he's he's only bloody retired again. <laughs> he's out. He's out. There's like a sort of long prologue sequence where he was having a lovely honeymoon with Madeline Swan, Leia Sadu's character. You know that just when uh, he thinks he's out. Just when he thinks he's out. Um, that character we will definitely remember from that film. Yeah. And for plot reasons, they go their separate ways, and then time passes, and then he's uh, asked by his old pal uh, Felix Leiter, played by Jeffrey Wright, to, with this mission. And it involves Rami Malek as a very poor taste villain. The past comes to haunt him in some way. He has to come back for Queen and Country. And, you know, has he got time to die? Hasn't he? No time to die, really. He doesn't have any time for that. Uh, Here's a clip. Sir, they're in. Yes, we have it. You should be able to see the chemical plant's architecture. Which one's Bond? He's the, um, he's the Psy. He's the Trident thingy. Give us a layout. Right. You're at the edge of a toxic merry-go-round. The main activity should be towards the central hub, which is directly above you. I feel like similar to how like the film's getting more tired, like our review of like Bond news gets more and more tired, where like it's so it's such in a holding pattern of like stuff. Yeah. I I really didn't like this one. I think this is I think for me the weakest of the Daniel Craig Bonds. I think he's gone out on a low. I, like we're probably just. I mean, that's quite a that's quite a claim. That's like, quite a claim. There's some, there's some stinkers in there. Because I think basically, like Casino Royale was this kind of you know in relative terms. I always find it funny when people review Bond films. When people review Marvel films, like for a Bond film, it's pretty progressive. It's like only yeah. murders five women or something. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> in Bond terms, this is good. But like Casino Royale was like quite different and did some new things, and like audiences loved it. And then Quantum of Solace tried to do more of that, but was very clumsily executed. It got and affected everyone, by the writer's strike and stuff, yeah, so it was like, all a bit of a mess. And it just, like, the sort of ultra-frenetic way of shot wasn't very successful. And it felt like the franchise went into sort of damage control, and they were like, okay, bring back that checklist of stuff we need, and then, but mix it with sort of Sam Mendes' sort of slightly ponderous, pretentious style, which was, like, the next two. And I feel like with this one, it's, like, a combination of the worst Craig things, where it's, like, both a series of, like, bondedoms, which are very tired, and also... Uh, relying on you and sort of caring about the previous four films where they never really quite made him an actual character. It was always a little bit stuck between some some sort of emotional interior life and just a sort of cultural object. And so the fact that the sort of emotional spine of this film is this relationship with a character that was like very poorly established and didn't really make much of an impact it was six years ago is sort of indicative of the whole movie. It's like, who really cares? What? And no amount of like... Uh, you know, hands in the music cues again uh, can really compensate for that. Uh, so I found it just quite a dull experience. Like the Craig thing, he's so sad. It's not like Roger Moore, where like it's so ridiculous you can enjoy the fun. I found it like it's a bit of a sort of lead weight. Even the sort of sillier sequences, with the exception of one Anna de Armas sequence, were just a bit like leaden by how serious it took itself. So for me, it was. Uh, trying to think of a bond pun now double o shit nice um yeah i think i liked it a little better than you i think for me this is uh i don't know i mean i don't really like i just don't like them very much so yeah you know this is this is definitely all relative but i did think it was better than the last couple certainly like better than the mendez ones 
which I found like really insufferable. I basically agree with you know, what you said about it, but I do think that in this one, there was something, this, there was a level of kind of like pretentious jingoism to the, the Mendes films that yeah. is just like awful <laughs> that I thought was less present in this film. And they, as you kind of sketched out, you know, basically the, in the beginning of the Bond, uh, the, the Craig era, uh, when they were um, heavily cribbing in style from the Bourne films, which is like, this is gritty, this is like real life, you know. There's with more shades of grey now or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's parkour and, you know, Bond is, I don't know, muscly and sex, like, I don't know, whatever. They, that attempt to do something which didn't feel as traditionally, like, Bond-y, they were, mu- they were definitely rowing back on, but they were also, like, retaining some elements of it, which is the the sense of it being like real cinema or something it had this kind of prestige gloss which is like not present in um the quite campy uh, pierce brosnan films and they've been sort of moving those little elements around and like dialing them in in different ways uh and the way that they kind of brought back you know there's the um the ben wishaw line about it's like what were you expecting exploding pen or whatever in the yeah. you know but then they have moved back towards wacky gadgets and you know the nanobots in his blood or whatever they 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 they've returned to like like full nonsense and this one has like you know an evil lair and like all of the sort of campy absurd elements you know like and then then bringing back Blofeld inspector and everything so they've kind of returned to that but i felt that in this one of all of the like of of the more recent ones um basically since quantum of solace this is the one where daniel craig looks the least like he's at a sort of shotgun wedding you know he's just he's so you just feel the the weight of him being forced to like pose and pout and look as cool as possible and uh, you know i think i said this before when we reviewed spectre but i don't think that he's a very naturally cool man you know or at least in he's being you know forced into to to, to contort himself into like this bond shape which just doesn't he, he wears it heavily you know yeah he's not a kind of light-footed twinkle-eyed type who's just effortlessly cool it's like he's he's putting so much effort into to everything and uh what like i i caught like youtube is always spitting out little clips from films it wants me to watch and like watching some clips from the past couple of bonds where he's you know straining to be as iconic as possible and just being a complete like the sort of guy who if he was in real life he walked into the room you'd be like this fucking prick i hate this guy instantly <laughs> and uh in this film, it just felt like he was slightly looser and getting to enjoy himself a little more um, than he has in the past. And you referenced the uh, Anna de Armas sequence, yeah. As as and it, you know, I think that's like an example of just a time where it feels a bit like he's in a fun blockbuster and he doesn't have to pout all the time and he's just you know shooting the bad guys and doing the thing and it's kind of fine. Um, so yeah, in 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 that respect, like. Uh, I did like a little better. It doesn't have quite the kind of like England o England or, you know, that straining yeah. at greatness. Um, and uh, yeah, so less pretentious. So I think I liked it for that reason. But yeah, it doesn't leave much of a sort of memory. Like some of the stuff, like some of the actual sequences were, were relatively well mounted. The shot of him doing the big mo- motorcycle stunt that's like heavily trailered, like is pretty cool. Um, but uh, yeah, there's also some some of the plot is just like absolute nonsense. <laughs> like, I know it always is, but some of this stuff is just absolute nonsense. Yeah, it's like you know, Ray Fine says, "Scan Blofeld's bionic eye." It's like, okay, okay. what is this film like? Yeah. He can either cry in a shower or he could be scanning bionic <laughs> eyes. But the two just seem weirdly at odds with each other. Yeah, and I think maybe like 
that's like a, a bit epitomized by like Rami Malek's character, which is like first of all he's he's got like scars, which is like so fucked up in twenty twenty one, and he's got like a sort of Johnny foreigner accent. So he's like a sort of traditional Bond villain, and he's got but he's also got some sort of rich interior life, which just does not make any sense, or no. like, and just like no matter how many like long dense monologues he delivers in this sort of like vaguely you know Eastern Bloc kind of like accent, it's just like oh god, it's so like you know makes me pine for like Mads Mikkelsen or Matthew Almerich. They were like really cool. I don't know. They had like real presence about them. Yeah, and was he was like a kind of good sparring partner for Daniel Craig, but like this one was just like. Oh god, shut up! I'm not sure if Rayman likes a good actor to us. Be like, I don't know. Could I don't think there's no actor on earth who could have made that <laughs> like part interesting. He just spouts absolute garbage. Yeah, like, I don't know. The dialogue is just dreadful. Like these movies are so badly written. And you know that like initially this was going to be directed by Danny Boyle and the script was by his like long term collaborator yeah. whose name is escaping me. Simon Boo. No. No, the other one. Andrew different, Hodge? Different guy. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm slightly forgetting the history of this, but yeah, it was going to be like, it wasn't going to be Purvis and Wade, yeah. Inc., you know, but they just like brought those guys back in to like do their thing again, and they are just such hacks. Like, the dialogue is always so cringe-inducing and embarrassing, and like, and it's like, to be fair to them, you know, they've been doing these for so long, like, we can't ask them to find a fresh angle on it now, like... So, of course, it's just going to feel like they're trotting out the same cliches over and over again because that's really all they've got going on. Like, yeah. That's, so, that stuff is, like, pretty dreadful. And the as you kind of mentioned as well, like, the way that they're trying to create some continuity so this, like, closes off the epic saga of this one guy is just does not work at all because none of these relationships are meaningful there's like a, a line where he calls Felix Slater his brother or something it's like, is he though? <laughs> Isn't he just like, it's like, oh, every time you see him, he's like, wait, was Jeffrey Wright? Yeah, he was in one of the other movies, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. It's like, oh, he's, he always crops up in these, doesn't he? It's like, they're not brothers. Like, you know? Yeah. yeah just just uh, silly. Yeah, a lot of press was made out of, like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge being brought in to, like, do some script polishing. And I think, like, the Anna de Armas sequence is the one where you feel her hand the most. That feels the most, like, killing Eve or something. And that's when it's, like, successful. I saw someone. There is something funny about that, though, isn't there? It's like we need, um, we need a woman to. Uh... It's like they they turn in their normal sexist script, and then they're like, um, uh, "Can we get a woman to take some of the sexism out?" It's like, yeah, it's just a bit silly. I mean, why did they? She, they thought she was good. Why did they hire her for the the polish? Just yeah. get her to write the movie. Yeah, it lacked. Yeah. I saw someone. I'm forgetting who said this, but like the appeal of the Bond franchise is like it's like action with like swagger. It's like. The Bond thing is like, you know, him taking off his wetsuit and he's wearing a tux underneath or something, you know, yeah. like, and I think the movie like lacked in that sequence the only time where I had a bit of like panache about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so I'd watch that five minute sequence and the other two hour, two and a half hours around it or a bit. I don't know. It just looked so past it to me. I don't know. I mean, I don't like it's such a weird thing that the thema- the thematics of this franchise have all been about how he's about to retire. I feel like even in the first one, which is about 40 years ago and that came out, they were kind of saying that he's a bit of an old guy, like he's not the sp- he's not spring chicken anymore. And, like every subsequent film is about how he's like, you know, his knees giving out and he's <laughs> like <laughs> just uh you know, he's, he's he's like can't quite remember everyone's name and stuff. Like, there's been, like, multiple films in which uh, the plot has been how he's, like, a, you know, creaking old man who's coming to part of the seams. 
and it's like it just feels a bit like mean to him you know they're making another film about that where he's like retired and passed it <laughs> just let him go let, let him just, just let him let, go let him go yeah give him some keep time. keeping him on life support <laughs> let daniel go just let him Wes. go and play another role where he gets to do an incredibly bad accent and you know seem like he's having a good time When Zach heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, Danny again. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, took me forever to edit this episode. And who knows when part two will drop. Hopefully sometime next week. But don't harm me to that. You know, I've got to go home. I've got to buy Christmas presents. <sighs> I've got to fucking not get Omicron. It's all, it's all happening for me. So I'm just going to leave you with a little bit of uh, Bo Burnham. And uh, very Merry Christmas. Good day. Jeffrey